Most of you know that we take a little trip to Mexico and work at a children's home down there. I've been leading this trip for 15 years. I relied heavily on my wife to do a lot of the stuff that needed to be done. When my son Liam, who's now 10, was three months old, it was like this crisis, like what do we do? Do we bring him? Everybody we talked to said, you should not bring your child on an international trip where you have to spend all your time like working and just it's late nights and early mornings, you should not do that. So we decided to go ahead and do that. And we brought him and we packed him and he's just this little, you know, tiny, translucent child, no hair. And he was a hit. I am telling you, everywhere we went, people were like, I just got to touch his shiny little head. And it was great. I mean, trying to keep this kid from getting sunburned down there was a challenge. It was a chore, but it worked uh, and it was a really good time, but it was a lot of work. And so we decided for the next seven years not to bring him with us. So we did the trip another seven times. And then we thought, you know, we kind of want to bring the whole family. Liam's getting old enough. He can walk now. Uh, this will be exciting. So we brought him and Liam and this young boy at the home named Jesus, they just hit it off. They're just, they were two peas in a pod. Now what's kind of extraordinary about this is that Jesus, he lives at a children's home and so you can imagine his life has not been ideal to this point and so Jesus is a nonverbal kid there's a lot of pointing and a lot of tugging and a lot of pulling you know come over here but somehow despite that Jesus is nonverbal he of course can understand Spanish and the fact that Liam cannot speak Spanish they just were buds all week I mean it just you love it you love to see the sweat pouring off them as they were running around playing tag or who knows what I don't know how they figured it out but they figured it out so this was in 2019 we couldn't go in 2020 for a variety of reasons. I don't know if any of you remember, there's a little something happening that summer. But in 2021, we went back and I thought, man, you know, they had such a good time. They were such buddies, but that was just a one-time thing. There's just no way they're gonna hit it off like that again. They're both older. They both have different stuff going on. There's just no way. And 2021 came and they picked up right where they left off. I mean, just, it was like they had never left. Two years later like they had never left. It was unbelievable. And then 2021, same thing. And they're just, they're just these buddies. They don't see each other but once a year. They don't speak each other's languages. Completely different cultures, completely different experience. And yet, friends. Doesn't that warm your heart a little bit? Yeah. Oh, some of you are like the Grinch. Come on. I mean, you're like, <laughs> seriously, like, you're just like these two little guys and they just, they just love being with one another and playing with one another. I love it. Now, I think this is true. It's something about children, they're natural at it. And I, I, was, I was noticing this. I had to do a security question on a website recently where you have, in case you forget your passwords, which I do all the time, where you have to answer a question. And one of the questions is, what's the name of your best childhood friend? And it dawned on me, I know the name of my best childhood friend. I haven't seen him in like 40 years, but I know his name. In fact, it, dawned, it actually dawned on me, I don't know that I know his name. His name was Grady, that's what I called him, but I don't know if it was Graydon or if it was Graybird. I don't know what Grady is short for, but it dawned on me that I knew exactly who that person was. And I'm guessing you probably do too. You know exactly who that childhood best friend was. And something happens as we grow up. Friendship is one of the few things that we get worse at as we get older. It's such a strange phenomenon because here's the tension. We exalt 
friendship in our culture, don't we? We exalt it. And not in a bad way. I think we do so because it's a natural thing to want. We exalt friendship in our culture. Uh, I was just thinking about how many movies. This is the premise of the entirety of the show is that it's just a bunch of friends. Even movies that maybe you don't think about. The Avengers, it's just a bunch of friends with superpowers, right? Fighting the bad guys. Harry Potter, it's just a bunch of friends with magical powers fighting the bad guys. It's a story about friendship. Or how about a show, a sitcom called Friends? That's all it's about. It's just friends. The other day, I was with Presley, our new youth minister, and we were at a coffee shop. And of course, you know, at a coffee shop, they ask you your name. But if you go often enough, they know your name. And he asked me, he said, hey, how long do you think I have to come here before everybody knows my name? And I said, oh, you want to go to a place where everybody knows your name? And you know what I got from Presley? Blank stares. He had zero idea what I was talking about. No clue. So we exalt friendship in our culture, but most of us are intensely aware of a lack of friendship in our lives. We exalt it in our culture. We're aware of a lack of it in our lives. And the, the stats back it up. There's been so many studies done about this. And if you want to dig deep, and if my sermon's, sermon's boring, you can scan that, and it'll give you stats about like loneliness in our culture. But let me sum it up. The basic stat is this. Three out of ten adults self-define that they experience serious loneliness. Not just loneliness, but serious loneliness. Now, some of you are thinking... Three out of ten, that's actually pretty good. I would have thought it was higher. But here, here's the thing. For young adults, it's 61%. Six out of ten young adults say, I experience serious loneliness. For mothers with young children, with toddlers, it's 51%. Half of mothers say, I experience serious loneliness. The reason I think it's only three out of ten is that adult males mess up the survey. Do you know why? Because adult males, they've normalized loneliness. We're just like, well, adult men aren't supposed to have friends. And that's the reason I think it's so low. I think it would be much, much higher. So here's the sad fact of the day, and then we'll try to pick it up from here. But the sad fact of the day, if you're lonely, you're not alone. And I mean that, that's a, it's an important thing to know, because I'll, if you're sitting in this room and you're thinking, yeah, I kind of identify with that. I'm one of those three out of the 10, or I'm one of the 50%. Well, understand that there are a lot of people that struggle with that, that feel that, that wonder about that, that wonder why they don't go to a place where everybody knows their name. So here's the situation in a nutshell. We want friends. We know we don't have friends. And we don't know how to get friends. If you have an iPhone, or I guess they've changed this now, but mine used to have an app on it that just came on it called Find My Friends. And uh, basically, it was just Find My Teenagers is how I used it. But the way, the way it was supposed to be designed is that you and your friends just shared where you were, right? And that seems like a great idea in theory until you see all your friends are at a restaurant and you are at home. So I can understand, well, that might increase loneliness. But... The promise of the name of that app is so good to think about what would it be if we had this means by which we could find friends. It's a difficult thing. There's something about adulthood or young adulthood and, and old adulthood that it's different than Liam and Jesus when they're seven and, uh, and nine and ten years old where they just jump right in. Now, let me pause here because if you're in the room and you're thinking, you know what, I actually am pretty good in this area of life. 
I've got all the friends I need. In fact, I need to whittle down my friend list and not just on Facebook and real life. I've just got too many friends. If you're just like, yeah, me and my friends, we're always hanging out, we're always laughing. If this is you, well, the rest of us find you incredibly annoying. Because if you need to get rid of some friends, send them our way. But I want you to know that you can just sit back and listen because even if this is something that doesn't affect you, there's information that we're going to talk about that I think will be crucial to developing deep friendships. And I want you to know that this isn't about personality. I am an off-the-charts extrovert. I get energy from strangers. It's bizarre. My wife is exactly the opposite. And the more she's around me, the more she's the opposite. And the more I'm like, people, and the more she's like, people, you know, like that whole, that whole dynamic. So, but this isn't about personality type because I can connect with lots of people, but the struggle for extroverts is depth in relationship. It is. And by the way, for you introverts, I, I know I don't completely understand you. I know you just want that one friend that you can sit alone in the same room and never talk. I get it. I don't, or whatever you guys do. This is how, when I was thinking about introverts, I thought about this quote from this show called Parks and Rec, a guy named Ron Swanson. If you haven't seen the show, it's hilarious. But this is Ron Swanson. I love this. I once worked with a man for three years, never got to know his name. Best friend I ever had. We still never talk sometimes. And some of you are like, yes, that is the relationship that I want. Now, the Bible has some genius advice about friendship. Just genius. And, and I want to, we're not going to dig into these two verses. I want to show you because I just, they blow my mind. But I wanted to show you Proverbs chapter 26 and Proverbs chapter 27, two verses. I love these. <laughs> this is, this is, I just love the wording. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. Wow, that is quite the metaphor. Is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was just joking. Have you ever been on the receiving end of that? Or have you ever tried to get out of a serious social faux pas by just saying, oh, I'm sorry, I was just joking. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. So just, just a friendship nugget right here is don't do that, right? That's good advice from Proverbs. But another one that I really like is if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Your, and this is important, your good intentions executed in unhelpful or unkind ways are not a blessing. That's good. That's genius. That's wonderful. Now, you need to know, some of you are like, wait a second. I thought we were talking about friendships. Both those verses say neighbor. Are you trying to pull a fast one here? This is a fun fact. In Hebrew, the same word for friend is the word for neighbor. And I actually like that idea because they anticipated your neighbors being your friends. They didn't live in modern suburbia where you might not know your neighbor's names. So here's a couple of things. Just don't, don't do that. But I want you to just think about simple and profound truths from the scripture. So three biblical truths. We're going to look at the Proverbs, but three biblical truths. Number one, friendship is more important than you think. However valuable you think friendship is, it's more valuable than that. Friendship is more important than you think. So I've, I've shared a little bit about our next door neighbors. <laughs> and they are providing a challenge for me. I don't think I've told you this exactly. But uh, we've got a bunch of neighborhood little boys that run around and play with each other. And they're 9 and 10. And they ran across the neighbor's yard to go from one friend's house to another. And these next door neighbors called 911 
police rolled up and the boys were like, what's happening? Called 911 on these little kids. And so I've decided, man, these, are, they, these guys are my project. I want to get to know them. I want to connect with them. They're providing a challenge. Some of your introverts are like, no, no, no. They're clearly signaling stay away. And the introverts are like, ding, ding, ding. I'm going to break through. I'm going to, this is going to be amazing. So I bring them gifts around Christmas, around Easter, cookies, whatever. I just, I bring them stuff. We had a neighborhood get together and I wrote them a note saying, we'd really like to see you there. And the rest of my neighbors were like, no, we wouldn't. What are you doing? And I'm like, they're not going to come, but we got to make the effort, right? This is a true story. After I invited them to our little neighborhood get together, they put their house on the market and moved. <laughs> now that is an introvert. I mean, you got to admit that is something else. So they, they've moved. That's the saga of our neighbors. And it's so sad because I really wanted to tell you an illustration sometime about how now they're my best friends and they're at church. And I, but I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they're here. I don't know. I never actually saw them because they were pretty introverted. I didn't get to know them. So I tell you that to tell you that there are people touring our, our next door neighbor's house all the time to buy it. It still hasn't been sold. They've dropped the price quite a bit. If you're looking for a place, come talk to me. There are people touring it all the time, and every time somebody comes uh, to check it out, my wife was like, Patrick, neighbors are here, you know, she, and she says it exactly like that. <laughs> it's true, she really does. What she knows is that I'm going to go to the window, I'm going to side up to the window, kind of, and I'm going to be peeking out, like, I don't want to be creepy, I don't want them to know I'm creepy, I am being creepy. <laughs> So I'll peek out a little bit and I'll be like, all right, I see kids, okay, you know. I'm, I feel like I'm doing reconnaissance. I'm just trying to scope them out and then, this is, this is all true, <laughs> I'll find an excuse to go outside. Like I'll find some trash somewhere and I'll be like, oh, I gotta take the trash. Oh, hey, how are you doing? You know, I wanna make eye contact, I wanna assess the neighbor. This is also true, the other neighborhood dads are also suspiciously out in their front yards. We're all trying to figure out, okay, who are the prospective new neighbors? And the reason is, is we want good neighbors. We want people that we can count on, that we can rely on, that will make eye contact with us, that will wave hi, that will come to the neighborhood, get togethers. That's what we're looking for. We're spying out new neighbors. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. This is kind of cool. Those of you that know a little bit Sunday school Bible stories, the 12 men who went to spy out Canaan, the choose carefully, that's the same word. Those spies, the righteous, spy out their friends carefully. Meaning the righteous are looking at people saying, hey, that's someone that I want in my life and my spouse's life and my children's life. They spy out their friends carefully because of how valuable, how important friendship is. There's this incredible study from Harvard. I don't want to get into it too deeply, but I spent a lot of time reading through this because it was so amazing. It started in 1939. And so the re researchers were trying to answer the question, essentially, what makes a good life? So when a person is in their 80s and 90s, what factors in their life have, have made their life either good or, or not good? So it's this huge decades-long study. And the amazing thing that kind of blew me away is the researchers who started the study knew that they were never going to see the results. They were going to be dead before the results of the study came out because they were older and they were researching these high school, uh, college-age kids. So they do this long study. They measure everything. They take blood samples. They do brain scans. They interview the 
family, the just every measure uh, that you can imagine, tens of thousands of pages of data on every participant, and there were thousands of participants. They wanted to know everything about what makes a good life. What makes a good life? So they're on the fourth director, and there's still 60 participants still alive, and they're still studying them. They're all in their 90s. Blew me away. So the current director has given a TED Talk, and he's got this unbelievable quote from this decades-long study. Here it is. Here's what he says. He says, the clearest message that we get from this 75-year study is this, good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. Now, I could have saved them decades and a lot of money had they just read Proverbs, because it says the same thing. The righteous spy out or choose their friends carefully. But notice, this, the study didn't say, you know what? It really mattered what career they were in. It really mattered how many vitamins they took every day. It mattered how many miles they ran a week. It didn't say any of that. None of that stuff even came close to comparing to friendships, to relationships. So number one, friendship is more important than we think. But number two, this is important too, and we, we intuitively know this, friendship is more difficult than we think. In high school, I tried out for the soccer team. My senior year, I hadn't played since second grade. So this is a really genius idea. I didn't have any of the right gear. You know, I just sign up sheet, didn't, you know, didn't have anything. I didn't have soccer shoes. I'm probably, I don't know for sure, it's my senior year, so it's been a few years ago. Um, I probably was wearing my basketball shoes because that was the closest thing I had. I didn't have cleats, I didn't have shin guards, I didn't have any of that stuff. And I'm in the locker room and I'm lacing up my basketball shoes. And one of the other guys who probably lived and breathed soccer and had been playing soccer since he was an infant, probably slept with a soccer ball. I just, I have a vivid memory of this interaction. He looks at me and he's, he says, first time? <laughs> Which is just confidence building, right? Like, oh, is it that obvious? Yeah, you know, the Air Jordans gave it away. But the thing he went on to say, and I, I, I really do, I think about this phrase all the time, all the way back from my senior year of high school, he shrugged and he says, who knows? Maybe you're a natural. Maybe you'll be the best guy on the team. And just a little flutter of confidence. And I thought, maybe he's right. Maybe I will be the best guy on the team. And I went out of the locker room, head held high, back a little straighter, Turned out I was not the best guy <laughs> on the team by a long shot. I did not make the team. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But I wanted, the struggle was, I wanted soccer to come naturally and easy. And it wasn't, and you probably discovered this, you want something that really is difficult to come easily to you. And when it doesn't, it's discouraging. And it feels hopeless. And you feel like, well, how is everybody else doing it? And I think that's true for friendships as well. We want friendships to be natural and easy and just everybody's always available and free and they're not distracted and they have time for us. And when it's not, I think we feel like losers. I was talking to Corrine this week who, despite the fact that I'm an extrovert, people like her a lot more than they do me. And I think they, they uh, like her because she doesn't try as hard. She plays hard to get, right? And that really draws out. It draws out the extroverts. But I was asking her, I said, what would you say if somebody came to you and said, hey, just, you know, some friendship advice. And the first thing she said, she goes, well, friendship is hard. And I was like, that's really annoying because it took me like weeks to come up with that idea. And you just had it like that. But she's right. Friendship 
is hard. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, another another truth out of Proverbs says this, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And, And this is good. This is a nice sentiment. This is something that you might hang up on your wall or highlight in your Bible, because there are lots of times where it'd be easier not to be friends, right? It'd just be easier. Life is simpler without friends, isn't it? And that's what I think adult males have figured out. Life's simpler without friends. I don't have to have anybody telling me how to spend my time or what to do. If you don't have friends, you don't have to take anybody to the airport at 4 a.m. It's easier. If you don't have friends, you don't have to help them move. You don't have to ask them, why in the world do you have an upright piano? You don't play it. If you don't have friends, you don't have to remember their birthday. If you don't have friends, you don't have to visit anybody in the hospital. If you don't have friends, you don't have to listen to them when they're struggling with parenting issues or marriage issues. I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to bother. You don't have to give them advice and counsel. I mean, friends, they cost time, privacy, energy, patience. There was a, a short story I read, and I read this quote out of it that I thought was so valuable. But it says this, there isn't much elbow room for friendship in the cracks between things. And I thought that was a beautiful way to capture a sentiment that I think a lot of us wrestle with. We have preoccupied ourselves to the degree there's just not room for other humans in there. And then we're sitting around saying, why am I so lonely? Why am I one of these three out of ten? What is going on in my life? Friendship is hard, and a friend loves at all times. If you want friends, be prepared to put some effort into it. Third truth, third and final truth that I want to share out of Proverbs is this. Friendship is more attainable than you think. I feel a little bad because the first two points I made seem like so oppressive and discouraging. Like, well, it is hard. It is important. I don't have friends. What am I ever going to do? But friendship is more attainable than you think. I'm fascinated by mountaineering. So books and documentaries about people that climb the highest mountains in the world. And I'm fascinated about it because there is above, this is a picture of Everest, by the way, and this is, look at how packed that is. All that color, that's all people traveling to the peak because there's just this little narrow window. But part of the issue with mountaineering is above 8,000 meters, they call it the death zone. Doesn't this make you want to go climbing a mountain? Death zone. And the reason is, I discovered this week that They call it the death zone because your body expends oxygen faster than it can replenish it. So your body is slowly deteriorating above 8,000 meters. In fact, specifically Mount Everest, it costs about 40 grand and takes two months to do it. Not because it takes that much time, but but you have to get to base camp and you have to acclimate to the altitude. It's $11,000 just to get the proper permit to climb the mountain. And, you, of course, you have to be physically capable and, and all that, hire a guide and all that. So I was fascinated to read approximately how many people have made it to the top of Mount Everest since 1953. Any guesses? How many people do you think have made it to the top? How many? Thousands. Thousands. That's very broad and generic. Can we have something a little bit more specific? 2,300? All right. At least three have made it to the top. Yes. High school senior there. All right. It is exactly, it is exactly 4,000, give or take, people. 4,000 people. Exactly 4,000 approximately. Yes, I'm a math guy. I really, numbers, really. Now, I'm actually surprised. I, you look at a picture like that, and you're like, man, it must be just, they must, be, they must have a Starbucks at the top of that thing. There's just like, I would have thought it was a lot of people, but the barriers to doing this are so high, you can kind of understand why it's pretty difficult. You get that. 
So if you think about friendship, it does feel a little bit like climbing Mount Everest. And so most of us are like, not happening. I'm not going to climb Mount Everest. And I'm kind of at a point in my life where I'm probably not going to make friends. And I'll just settle for the lonely life. And I just got to tell you, no. I believe strongly, firmly, with all my heart that God desires, God wants you to have long-lasting, life-giving friendships. He wants that for you. In the very beginning, in the garden, as God was saying, this is good and that is good and this other thing is good and everything is good, he saw Adam and he's like, oh, it is not good for man to be alone. And of course, he gave him a spouse. And I know some of you feel like, well, yeah, I've got my wife, but I think you need to be friends with your spouse too. I think you need to have that kind of relationship with them as well. It's not good for man to be alone. Even Jesus Jesus, who arguably wouldn't really need friends, right? Every time he went to go pray by himself, he would bring people. Isn't that kind of funny? Oh, I'm going to go have some alone time. Peter, James, John, you come with me. That's how valuable friendships were. Even in Matthew chapter 25, at the end of his life, as he's facing crucifixion, I got to go pray all by myself, just me and God. I need some buddies. And remember, he goes and he brings them. And he goes, you guys wait here. I'm going to go a little further. And then what was Jesus upset at the buddies for? Falling asleep. And you're like, come on, being a friend is hard. It's like 3 a.m. We're tired, Jesus. And Jesus is like, could you not support me? I needed you. I needed you here right now. And then finally, Jesus lets him sleep because he knows they're tired. Sunday mornings. My little routine often is to go get a cup of coffee and sit outside when the weather's nice and just kind of reflect, think about my sermon, kind of mentally prepare uh, for what I have to say. I've been working on it all week and praying about it. I want to just make sure I just get it just right. And so I'm sitting there mentally reflecting on my sermon and this gentleman come and there's never anybody here. And this one gentleman comes and walks next to me and he's like, oh, don't worry. I won't bother you. I'm a loner. And then he proceeds to just talk my ear off. (laughs) (laughs) But we're talking. I mean, I can't preach a sermon about friendship and tell this guy like, listen, I really need to focus on the word of God here. So he's telling me this story and it's just tragic tragic story. When his son was 17 years old, he and several of his siblings were in this devastating car accident. And they all survived, but the one son, his injuries were so traumatic that he needed 24-hour care. And the doctor said he's not going to make it, he's not going to live, and he ended up living 28 more years. But he needed 24-7 care. And he said, that was really hard. And I'm like, yeah, I can... I can only imagine that that was really hard. And and he said, but you know what sometimes helped? He said, we had people who said, I cannot relate to specifically what you're going through, but I am there for you. I am with you. And he said, people would do that. And it would just, it wasn't a lot, but it was just a little lift. It was just a little bit that got them a little, just maybe another 10 minutes through the day, another hour through the day. When you're talking about relationships, you don't need to solve everyone's problems, but maybe you can just give them a little lift to help them get through the next 10 minutes, the next hour. There are people going through some hard things. You are some of those people, and you need someone to just give you a little something, just a little bit. And I think that's what friendship is all about. The righteous choose their friends carefully.
if Liam and Jesus can see each other once a year and not speak one another's language and not have the same experiences, then maybe there's hope for us. Friendship is more important than you think. Friendship is more difficult than you believe, but friendship is more achievable than you realize.